If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Marinda Thompson. Have you ever had lessons where your horse goes brilliantly, but you can't reproduce this feeling by yourself? Are you trying to learn and constantly told what to do, but not how or why? Marinda's got 30 years of classical dressage training, and she wants you to understand how you can get your horse to improve. How are you, Marinda? I'm great, thanks, Glenis. Good, good. So we're going to talk to you a bit, Marinda, a bit about you being an all-round coach and about how you're using dressage to complement jumping, jumping to complement dressage. But let's start off today with a favourite quote, and this would be something you use when you're teaching or one that's inspired you or influenced you with horses. My favourite quote, I think, would be one of Nuno Oliveira's, and it's, the horse is the best judge of a good rider, not the spectator. If the horse has a high opinion of the rider, he'll let himself be guided. If not, he will resist. So for me, that's a really big one because if you try and ask the horse a question and the horse understands, he will be very obliging. But if you do that in sort of a rough way, it makes it pretty obvious that the horse is not happy. And I always look at the rider and the horse as a whole picture to see what's happening. It really goes back to Nuno's um, whole feeling for the horse, doesn't it? You know, that he really treats the horse as a partner in the relationship and really tries to understand those little tiny signals that the horse gives. Yeah, absolutely. And quite often I, I teach a lot of riders who are very, very accomplished and they've got a very good position, but sometimes the horse might just make a slightly different step with one leg than the other and I can make a correction to the rider but it's not necessarily that I've seen that the rider did it I can see what the horse does in response yes and it's the whole picture as one and the horse tells me what is happening rather than the rider sometimes yep yep I think that's a good thing for coaches to take away too not necessarily look at what the rider's doing but have a look at the whole picture and and the horse will be telling you things as well yeah, they certainly do, and their expression on their face and yes. how happy they are and whether they come up to you in the paddock and they, they think that you're going to work with them, not try and work against them. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's a good indicator. Yep. Munda, how did you start with horses? Are you from a horsey background? I think you are, aren't you? Your, your um, mother was a coach? Uh, sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of half and half. So um, <laughs> my mum's a coach and yep. she's a very active coach. She still is now, and her family were all horsey. My dad, on the other hand, he, he's into boats. So <laughs> I actually lived on a yacht when I was young. Okay. And yachts and horses don't match very well because <laughs> they don't float so well. And my brother now is in the yachting industry and I'm in the horse industry. So we sort of semi followed on. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I had a pony from the age of three. My mum swore she would never get any child of hers a pony until they were at least five. But she gave up when I was three because <laughs> I used to yell every time she went out the door. <laughs> so, yeah. Stereotypical little black Shetland was my first. Yeah. Okay. And now when you left school, um, you know, did you follow in your mother's footsteps when you first left school or did you do have another career and then you became a coach? How did that work out? I've actually been coaching since I was about 12 years old and mm-hmm. that was through my mum because I used to 
get dragged along with her to everything that she went to. Yep. So there's sort of some things that I can't actually remember learning myself, like footfalls of the paces, for instance, because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. sort of learnt it by osmosis, I think. Yeah. And I got invited to teach at a pony club camp when I was quite young. And then I went to school. I did a science degree. I wanted to know more stuff about why the things happen, and that's that was always my... You know, why? <laughs> I want yep. to know why. Yep. yep. And I had a few years off after college and, yeah, taught a bit mm-hmm. and went to uni and then taught a bit more and I had a, a real job in the real world. Yep. And then I got made redundant. And while I was looking for another real job, I kept coaching and kept coaching and it turned out so busy that I <laughs> have a fun job now yeah. that I love doing instead of having an actual real job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Now, if someone else is looking to get a fun job instead of a real job and work in the horse industry, what sort of core skills or personality traits do you think they need? I think respect for the horse Mm -hmm. is a massive one. So I see a lot of people who they use the horse as a tool for their sport and it's not like a hockey stick that you can just throw away when it wears out and get another one. You, Mm -hmm. You don't want to wear it out and you need lots of good basic horse management skills which is missing a bit sometimes I think so and that doesn't have to come from a competition background that can be from a person who breeds horses or from a person who is a stock person or a person who just has a general all-round good observational knowledge of horses Mm -hmm. and then apply that in whatever way you want to take your specialisation, if you like. So if, mm, you know, mm. if you want to Because there are do... lots of areas, aren't there, that you can work within the horse industry? Absolutely. But the foundation of them all comes back to can you keep the horse fit and sound for a whole healthy, happy life for that horse mm-hmm. and make sure that you treat it as if it's going to live forever and you want it to live forever and you want to keep it as fit and healthy as you can forever rather than just going, oh, it's okay, it's only going to last for 10 years and then I'll get another one because I don't really like that attitude. That's not where I'm at at all. Mm-hmm. So those basic horse management skills, they apply to every single discipline, whether it's an English discipline or whether it's, I don't know, polo cross or camp drafting or whatever it is, you have to be able to work with your horse and know when he's feeling good and know when he's not so healthy and be mm-hmm. able to manage all of that stuff. So yeah, that's the big number one thing for me, yeah. look after the horse. All right. Now, you talked about, you know, within your career about how you got started with your mum. Who else has influenced you within your career? Did you ever have lessons with Nuno? No, sadly not. I did watch him coach once, and mm-hmm. that was actually just before he died. Yep. He did come to Australia. But my main coach was Glenis Shandley, and she's now in her late 80s. Mm-hmm. She's still going. Um, and <laughs> she taught me pretty much everything I know. She's amazing. And part of it was that I only realised later was more about the terminology. So she would say, ask the horse rather than make him do it. Mm, so it was mm. sort of instilled into me that you you ask something and you see what the response is. And if the response isn't what you want, then you ask again or you ask a little differently. There's never any of this demand that it happens now because then you make the horse not so happy to do what you're asking to do. So Glennis was my biggest one and still is. She's amazing. And she was trained by Nuno. She was mm-hmm. also trained by Franz Moringa and yep. by Edgar. Mm-hmm. I only get to see her a few times a year because we live in different states. But she's, yeah, she's been fabulous. And even with the jumping, I'm a jumping competitor, mm-hmm. but she's been very helpful with that as well. And even when I, 
I go to jumping coaches and or you know squad clinics, yep. um, and she'll say the squad coach will say, you know, your horse needs to do this more. Mm-hmm. But the way that they communicate it might not necessarily be in a way that I understand. But I'll go back and I'll say to Glennis, okay, this person said I need to do this. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And within half a circle, she'll have fixed it because that's I've had lessons from her since I was seven years old. So. Pretty much yes. you can sit there and give me two words and suddenly everything's all better. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. The other coach that I have is uh, Michelle Strap, and I've yep. been going to Michelle for 10 or 11 years. And again, she lives interstate, so yep. it's only a couple of times a year that I get to see her. Yep. And that's been excellent in terms of she can explain to me in dressage terminology that I'm used to in a similar way that Glennis does, but then apply it directly to jumping. So. That's what I was missing for a long time because most coaches are either just a dressage coach or just a jumping coach, and the mixture of the two is fabulous. That's good. That's good. And as you say, that communication so important, and even just that little bit of a, a change of word or just a slightly different explanation. I think it's an experienced coach too that can change the wording, change the explanation just a little bit if you don't get it one way. You know, they'll change it around a bit, tell you something a bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, mm. Okay, what about horses? Tell me about some horses that you've ridden or if you've got one outstanding horse or a couple. Yeah, I've had a really lucky time with horses. I've had everything from the first little <laughs> chestnut <laughs> that was he, – he was amazing. Um, I've had racehorses off the track. I've had Shetlands. I've had some very nice little Australian ponies when I was first learning after I went off the little Shetland, bred by – Diana Morton, who is a carriage driving lady, and she is fabulous, and she breeds beautiful ponies. And she actually gave my daughter her first pony recently, so <laughs> she's kept the tradition going there. The ponies that I have at the moment, I've currently got an Irish sport horse who was meant to grow big and tall, but he sort of stopped at about just under 16 hands. And he is fabulous. He jumps a metre 30. He does advanced level dressage. He's recently sort of started turning into a schoolmaster, which is not where I thought he'd go because he's a bit quirky. (laughs) But he is very, very good at telling me exactly where a rider needs some help. So I can put a rider on him and ask them to simply turn. And if they don't use the correct aids, he keeps going the other way. (laughs) So he's wonderful like that. He doesn't hide anything, but he also doesn't do anything nasty. He just goes, no, this is where you asked me to go, so this is where I'm going. I have a little stallion who is just coming under saddle. He's not fully grown yet. Hopefully he'll get to about maybe 16 one, and he's a Hanoverian. And he is really quiet and really lovely, and he lives next to the other one. They just live in single-strand electric tape paddocks next to Mm -hmm. each other. He's got a super temperament, and I'm really excited to start working with him. And, yeah, I've got a, a couple of old retirees, and I've got a couple of young ones, and... All the mixture, different breeds, <laughs> different sizes, different colours. I'm not picky. They all have a lot to teach me. So, yeah, it's really, really good to be able to work with all different sorts of animals. As you're going through them, you know, you're sort of talking about them but then just telling us those, you know, little bits of quirkiness or how you're excited to work with them. Um, is there one proud moment that you really want to think is a standout or is it just you get bits and pieces sprinkled all the way through? Is it? standout moments with the horses that you're training or with the coaches, the riders that you're training? What do you think is the proudest? I I had a super proud moment here a couple of months ago. I've got a rider that I've been teaching for maybe 
eight years or so. Um, yep. She's a young rider. She has a couple of thoroughbreds off the track. She's primarily a jumping rider. Uh, she went away for a little bit, and I rode a horse for a couple of times while she was away. And when I sat on him and rode him around, I just rode him on the flat, and he felt just like one of my horses. I was so proud that I haven't sat on him since probably maybe five years ago when she first got him off the track. And to be able to sit on him and ride him exactly the same as I'd ride my horse and him to do everything the same way, I just mm. thought that was absolutely Good. awesome. And Good. I teach her regularly, but I hadn't sat on the horse. And yep. That was a really proud moment for me. That's good. That's really good. Now, you've had horses a long time. You know, you've sort of been, what, 30, yeah. 35 years competing, 25 yep. years coaching. You've had lots of ups and downs, I'm sure. What do you think your biggest challenge has been? Well, I actually, I've had some health problems. I had, I had a couple of seizures, which the doctors still don't really know why it happened. And then I became pregnant with my daughter because they said, no, the seizures are all gone, everything's fine. Yep. And then I had some more seizures when I was pregnant and then I had to have heart surgery and I had to have quite a bit of time off, obviously, because you can't sort of keep running yeah, when you do those yep. things. And then getting back on, that was really challenging for me. So I'd had, I had a, a one-year-old child and I had a newly patched up heart and I've never had that long off riding in my whole mm, life. And mm. I picked the quietest horse that we have <laughs> and he was lovely, of course, but I got up there on him and I thought, oh. I'm up really high and I don't know how to sit here anymore. <laughs> and it was a really bizarre feeling. And so he just sort of, you know, trotted around really nicely. And it took me a few months before I sort of thought, okay, this is all right. I think I can trot over a cross pole. Mm. And then getting back on my quirky Irish chestnut, because he's always been a bit challenging and likes to make up his own mind occasionally about what he thinks might be the fun thing to do today. Yep. yep. Um, <laughs> And and once he once he got back in work, he was super. But the very first time I got back on him, I sort of thought, oh, you've had a year and a half off. I'm not quite sure how this is going to go because he'd never had that long off and I'd never had that long off. And that was really, really challenging. So I set myself the goal that I wanted to be able to train all the advanced movements by a clinic date. Mm-hmm. And I made that happen with the help of my husband and driver because I wasn't allowed to drive because of the seizures yep. and got him going again. And then I started jumping him again. And then I started jumping the young horse again as well. And then I thought, yeah, this is okay. I feel comfortable again now, but it Good. took a really long time. And Good. it's Good. yeah, I really feel for people who can't ride for whatever reason that that had sort of never happened to me before. So it, yes, it's pretty tough, but good horses and good support helps with a lot of things. And I think the setting the goals you know, you obviously work well with the goals that you can set it and go, yeah. right, I've just got to keep pushing along and doing a little bit every day to achieve Absolutely. it, to work towards it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I knew the horses, well, one horse was very quiet and the other horse was already capable of doing all the advanced work. Lots of when, stuff anyway. When I sent them out, so yeah. I knew it was possible. So you have to set goals that are possible to achieve, yep. but give me something to work towards with a bit of structure. And, yeah, that helped. Okay, okay. All right, now you're a dressage specialist coach and you're also a jumping specialist coach and you do dressage (laughs) dressage lessons for jumping riders and jumping lessons for dressage riders. What do you think is the main thing that you work on? You know, you've got a dressage, well, we'll do two main things. What's the main thing you work on with dressage lessons for jumping riders and what's the main thing you work on for jumping lessons for dressage riders? So for the dressage riders, a lot of the time they are a little bit 
too structured, if you like. So they quite often will ride in an arena all the time and they will do lovely patterns and shapes. But if something is a little bit out of the ordinary, they don't quite know how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. So I'll put poles in their arena and give them things to steer around and give them little exercises with initially with poles on the ground, but then with small jumps. A lot of the time, 90% of the time, it's to improve their canter because they get to a certain level and they think they have to have this little collected canter and it doesn't go anywhere and it's really flat and they mm-hmm. they sort of lose their bravery about how to do a big canter. So we put some poles in the arena and just something as simple as counting how many strides between two poles so that yep. then they can prove to themselves whether they've extended their canter or not because the canter either takes more steps or less steps or the same steps. So that sort of stuff is really beneficial to them. And then when they learn that they can actually canter over poles without dying, <laughs> they learn what it feels like and then they can help with their, their quality of the canter and their changes and whatever they've been having problems with. And um, that's a big one for me with the making dressage less dressage because the ponies get a bit bored and the riders get a bit stifled. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I love doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, for the jumping riders, a lot of the time they... Uh, initially sort of seem to think, oh, I don't like doing dressage, that's why I jump. And then if you walk a course with them and you walk the track of the jump off and they might say, oh, well, I can't ride in there. It's all right for you. Your horse is educated. (laughs) Yeah, my horse is educated and that's why I can ride in there and that's why I'm about to beat you in the jump off. (laughs) It all comes back to the basics. Steering, starting, stopping. Yep. But for the jumping riders, we can do it over poles. I do lots and lots of poles with both the jumping riders and the dressage riders. Okay. But they can learn to do jumping type exercises without actually jumping. So they save their horse's legs mm-hmm. and they can assess where they're at without putting the confidence of the horse in any sort of jeopardy and without worrying about if they make a little mistake. If it's a big fence, then that mistake can be damaging. But if it's a pole on the ground, then... There's not so big a problem. Yep. And then they learn to monitor whether the horse can canter properly and whether they can steer it in canter and whether it's the same both directions. And, and yeah, I've got a lot, a lot of jumping riders who mainly have dressage lessons, which is, I think, a pretty big achievement because there's a lot of jumping riders who don't like to do dressage. Mm, mm, mm. And, yeah, so that's a big one. I think obviously what you're teaching is working, you know, because otherwise people would just go, I know that, you know, you would try it once and go, well, that didn't work. But if you've got more and more jumping riders having those lessons and they're coming back and they're improving and they're increasing and getting better results, then I think those results are going to speak for themselves. Yeah, they really do. And then the big part of the jumping competition is when they go to a competition, it's not about okay, I've got a young horse and I'm going to go out and win the 90-centimetre class. It's no, I've got a young horse and one day I want to jump open classes with it. And we go out in the 90-centimetre class to just give it a look around and Mm. we'll trot around the arena and if he's spooky at something, then we just keep him quiet and calm and we canter over the fence and if he gets a bit distracted, we can do a circle. Yes, we're going to get four faults. Not a problem. It's a 90-centimetre class. We're training him to be an open horse. Yep. And there's a lot to say for losing, if you like, in a class just so that you can train your horse to be better in the long term rather than just better for today because that is a really mature way to look at it and the riders have started to learn that, yeah, that's okay. We can go out there and we can do a circle or we can only jump the first three fences if he's not feeling himself or if he's feeling great, then, yeah, we jump the whole course. And it's about how they feel, not yeah, not about how they actually 
put the results on the board. It's how the horse feels today. It takes a more experienced rider, though, to look at the long-term results instead of just the short-term result, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely yeah. does. And yeah. that's something that the training the rider to think about what happens next year rather than just think about what happens today. Yeah, keeping the horse happy and healthy and thinking about the life absolutely. of the horse. Yep, yep. Yep, absolutely. Big focus for me. Yeah, yeah. All right, now thinking about being a jumping course designer because you're also a steward and a course designer, um, within your course design, what do you think you have got like a favourite thing that you like to put in to test the horse and why you put that in and what sort of test that you're giving the horse? The main reason that I did the course designing and became a course designer was mm-hmm. to help my riders in lessons. So okay. I don't build very much at shows. hmm I do build a lot for clinics for my riders, mm-hmm. and I have quite a few favourite exercises, but I wouldn't like to say one particular thing because it might not suit every horse. So it's okay. got to be something for my lessons that will suit the particular horse that's in front of me. So the main reason that I became a course designer was to learn more about how the horses jump well and what type of fences and what type of lines will help produce a better jump in the horse and will help the rider's position and the rider's thought process about how they get to the next fence. And then when I see riders at home, at their own home, initially they might, you know, they might not have very much gear. They might only have two or three fences, but they don't know where to put them. So yes. you go there and they'll have three random fences in their paddock and they mm-hmm. can't ride from one to the other in any sensible way. They've they've just basically got a single fence by itself and then yep. another single fence by itself. So I can help them plan out how they can use their own space and their own limited equipment to be able to help their horse learn to jump better. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. again, that is dependent on each individual horse and rider, what equipment they have, what area they have, what special things their horse needs to develop more of. So in terms of a favourite single exercise, I guess the answer is I don't really have one. <laughs> yeah, yep. but probably better that you do have quite a few and able to get them to suit the horse, suit the rider, suit the situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do have quite a lot of pole exercises that I I regularly have out. Like my, my favourite pole exercise, which is for jumping riders and for dressage riders, I have eight 12-foot long poles and I put them in a fan shape. So the, the inside would be about three feet. I'm talking old-fashioned language, but <laughs> three feet. <laughs> yep, which is about a metre. Uh, to about... Yep. Yeah, so to about 10 or 11 feet on the outside and I I actually sit them on pool noodles. So it's very cheap and easy. Um, (laughs) And the pool noodles are strapped to the pole so they're they're just a bit off the ground and that fan, so it's four poles but they're two poles long if you like. So they can walk over the centre and they can trot over the middle and they can canter over the outside. It's the same set of poles that does every exercise and it teaches them a lot about steering and about lifting their inside hind leg and about how to sit tall and how to give with the arms and how to manage to keep the horse on a line mm-hmm. because the poles aren't straight, they're on a curve. No, that's right. Your, yeah, yeah. Use your own body to help the horse's own body. So in terms of favourite exercises, it's not a jumping exercise or a dressage exercise, it's sort of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's a good one. 
it really helps riders then keep themselves on a line. And interesting to see you can do it on the right rein and the left rein, but can they keep the same line on the right rein as they can on the left rein? Yeah, quite often not. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we work on. And we make sure that eventually we can do it both. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Now, you've taken away a couple of teams in the past, the team coach. Have you got any tips for any team coaches if they've never done it before? Yeah, if you take away a team and you know the riders. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've taken away state teams where I've previously known the riders. I don't necessarily coach them, but I've seen them ride quite a bit and I've known them for quite a lot of time because Tasmania is pretty small, so you know Mm -hmm. pretty much everyone. Um, The ones that you know, then they're sort of relatively easy to help. You know what sort of things that they consistently do that you can help them with and what sort of attitude their horse has to competitions. Mm -hmm. Um, The big challenge for us from a Tasmanian perspective is we have to get on a boat and take the horses and travel them quite a long distance, often compete indoors where we don't do that here because we don't have an indoor that we can compete in. So most of the stuff for those teams is about getting them different experiences before they go away getting them to a local indoor, putting up a couple of fences. We don't have any that are big enough to really put whole courses and competitions in. But just getting them to see what their horse might react like when it gets away. For the teams, I've taken away a couple of international teams and not previously met any of the riders. And obviously we don't take horses. So that's really challenging in terms of you need to communicate with them before you go so that you can find out what sort of things they normally would do with a new horse, what their attitude is to learning new stuff, um, what sort of coaching styles they're used to, what sort of coaching styles work for them. And sometimes people themselves don't know what sort of coaching style will suit them. They just know that they like someone or they don't like someone or they can learn a particular way or they can't learn a particular way, but they don't understand themselves. They just know okay, this works or this doesn't work. So you ask Mm. them a bunch of questions by email or by phone before you go away. And then you have to match them with the horse. And of course, if you're away somewhere, you've never seen the horse before. You've never seen the rider before. And we need to figure out how do we match a horse to the rider and how do we make sure that everyone stays safe and has a good time, but also can be a bit competitive because you're representing the country. So we need to see that we can match the skills a little bit. And um, sometimes... We've had to rely on a reserve horse because we had one that the horse was really well matched to the rider, but he wasn't quite comfortable. And we found out later he was a little bit sore. Mm -hmm. And we didn't previously know that, and neither did the owner. So that rider had to take a reserve horse, and that worked quite well as well. But it's really challenging for having no knowledge when you go away of the horses that you're going to get or the riders that you're going to get. And sometimes... For the lone horses, they might get sent to the venue on a truck and you don't even get to speak to the owner. So sometimes there's no one there to tell you these are the things that this horse is good at or needs help with. You've sort of got to figure it out for yourself. And when you don't know the rider either, it's a pretty tough task. But um, we've gone pretty well historically with teams that we take away. So 
Our Pony Club system is pretty good at producing riders with good all-round skills and we're lucky in Australia that it's sort of semi-normal for half the kids at school to have a horse. So they've got basic horse skills, they've got all-round sort of skills, so horses live in paddocks, they don't, don't generally live in stable blocks with grooms looking after them all the time. These people that we take away are, are usually pretty good at knowing about normal horse skills, what we would call normal horse skills. Mm-hmm. And often you have a team from Hong Kong or China or somewhere and they don't even own their own horse. So mm, that's mm. a whole different skill set. But yeah, they're, they're great to take away a bunch of young people and see how they go with learning about different countries and mm, different horses yeah. and making friends with people that they've, they've also never met each other before. Yep, um, yep. Yeah, good times. Challenging but fun. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Okay. All right, Marinda, have you got a book that you could recommend for our listeners? My favourite book is Horses Are Made to Be Horses by Franz <laughs> Mariga. Yep. I love it. I reread it often. Unfortunately, it's out of print. I see it for sale every so often and I get my pupils to jump on it and say, buy this book because you can't buy it anywhere else. Yep. It explains things in a conversational type language. It's not too heavy in funny terminology that people don't get. So it's really good for anyone. Anyone can pick it up and read it and it makes sense. And as the title says, horses are made to be horses. They, yep. They'd rather be out in the paddock eating grass. They yes. don't have to come and be our partner. They need to be treated with respect as a horse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, Marinda, I think everyone on the call will agree with you there. I think, you know, that's a, the type of listeners that we do tend to attract. Now, what are you looking forward to now? Now I'm looking forward to my baby stallion having some foals. He's got a couple of mares in foal. So next season we'll have a couple of babies on the ground and mm-hmm. hopefully by the next season he'll be out competing. I've just backed him. He's still growing a little bit, so I'm not going to do very much with him yet. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see where he'll go. I've got a couple of – I've got the one Irish horse that I spoke of earlier yes. and he's he's on a break right at the moment, but I'd like to get him out and – start doing some working equitation. So we don't have any working equitation here in Tassie at the moment, but mm-hmm. I'd like to start learning how to do some of that and put together a clinic and a group and see if we can have some fun with that. And my little black horse, he, he's going to do a little bit more jumping and he's going to help some of my my young riders learn about just how to keep quiet because he's very reactive if you get tense, mm-hmm. but he's also excellent at being very quiet if you learn to relax and it's instant he's really funny so he'll get quite tense and forget to breathe mm-hmm. but as soon as you breathe he'll breathe so he's very good for teaching people it's okay when you're tense you can just relax and breathe and then he'll relax and breathe so I'm excited to see what happens when I put a couple of riders on mm-hmm. him and see how he can teach them how to let go Yep. And then I'm heading off to the Coaching Excellence Alliance next month so that'll be awesome and I hope that I can keep teaching lots more people and lots more horses. I'm really enjoying full-time coaching, and it's it's great. Okay, sounds good, sounds good. Now, can you sum up your philosophy with horses into a lesson today? Always think of what is the benefit to the horse. You want to do dressage, it's because you want the horse to be well fit and muscled and well trained so that you can keep a long and healthy happy life for him and you won't jump because it's fun but you want to make sure that it is fun for the horse 
and that you don't push him past his limits, but also you let him explore his limits and you train him well enough on the flat that he can make sure that he is capable of doing what you ask him to do. Okay, good, good. Okay, probably the last question, Marinda. What about if people want to contact you? What's the best way? I have a website, which is thompsonequestrian.com.au. I'm also on Facebook and I'm on the database on the EA website and my phone number's on there. And all those contact details will be on horsechats.com slash Marinda Thompson as well. Okay, Marinda, thank you for talking to us. I think great with the exercises that you talked about, you know, particularly the dressage lessons for jumping horses, poles to sort of, for the dressage horses to develop the big canter and, you know, a few other exercises and also the work that you did about the um, tips for team coaches. I think all great, all uh, good listening. Okay, and thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, Gwyneth. Lovely talking to you. Good to talk to you too, Marinda. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.